Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it live using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, no stale stories, and no outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can have either your entire organization take the program, or if you have just a few folks, maybe have them join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information on anything, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, we are in mid-April as of the dropping of this episode, and we are all starting to think about what life is going to look like post-COVID. One of the biggest concerns, obviously, is reopening the office. If we're going to bring people back, how do we do it in such a way where people can be productive, effective, and yet still feel confident that they're being treated fairly and safely? Well, for this one, because it's such a broad topic, I thought I would really go crazy and have three guests come on to talk. So our first guest, while we're all together now, is Rachel Permuth. Now, I met Rachel on an airplane trip probably three years ago, and we stayed in touch through LinkedIn. And lo and behold, I found out that she actually does quite a bit of work in this space now with her own company. We also have Mark Hudock. Now, Mark is somebody that talks about how to have buildings set up for success in terms of ventilation. His big thing is ventilation. And so we're finding more and more that COVID is one of those things that spread through aerosol more than anything else. Then to round out the team, we have Blaine Rothhauser. He's known as the bug and bunny guy. He talks about the external environment and how we can clean that up. It's a one, two, three punch for success if you want to bring your workforce back safely and with confidence. At the end, they will give you their contact information. I would highly encourage you to engage them as you plan your re-entry into the workforce. So let's go ahead. This is a long episode. Let's get them talking. You know what to do. Let's go ahead and buckle up that seatbelt. Put the personal item under that seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. All right, we are going to start this very special episode of HR Oxygen. And of course, the topic is returning to the office with confidence. But I just read something this morning that I thought is good to read, because if you're wondering why employees are struggling, this is a good indicator of why. So the article says U.S. intelligence community warns of devastating long term impact of coronavirus pandemic. The fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic is poised to fracture societies worldwide, increase instability across the globe reshape political and economic realities for years to come, the U.S. intelligence community warned in a stark report 
laying out the top security concerns facing the country. The economic fallout from the pandemic is likely to create or worsen instability in at least a few and perhaps many countries as people grow more and more desperate in the face of interlocking pressures that include sustained economic downturns, job losses, and disrupted supply chains, the report warns. That dire economic picture boosts the risk of internal conflicts, surges in cross-border migration, and even the collapse of national governments, officials warn. The picture is not pretty. Officials warn that in addition to the obvious humanitarian concerns associated with the pandemic, like food shortages, uneven access to therapeutics, the virus is also reshaping the security calculus of nations like Russia and China, who are jockeying to exploit the crisis to increase their geopolitical influence. Both seek to gain an advantage through vaccine diplomacy. Beijing is also using its global health assistance efforts to export its surveillance tools and technologies, the report says. The report also cautions that the world cannot yet breathe a sigh of relief despite rapid progress on vaccine development. The virus will remain a threat to populations worldwide until vaccines and therapeutics are widely distributed, the report warns, and a resurgence in infections early this year may have an even greater economic impact as struggling businesses in hard-hit sectors such as tourism and restaurants fold and governments face increasing budget strains. Man, what a depressing report. And on top of all of that, many of us are wondering, what is life going to be like when we go back to work? So now that I've thoroughly depressed everybody, I think it's time that we start to figure out how we're going to work through this together. Now, this is a really cool episode because I actually have three guests on our show today. We have Mark Hudock, we have Blaine Rothhauser, and Rachel Permuth. All three of them are experts in their own fields, and I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves, and then we're going to dive into a, I guess, a three-headed approach to returning back to work. So I'm just going to go down the list, and I'm going to start with Rachel. So Rachel, I want you to introduce yourself, tell us about your background, then I want Mark, and then Blaine, and then we'll dive into these questions together. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a depressing start to this podcast, but I think it gives us a lot of material and a way kind of to to structure uh, what we'll talk about. So I'm Rachel Permuth. I am the CEO and founder of Epidemiology and Behavioral Science Consultants. Um, my background is actually as an epidemiologist and a behavioral scientist, um, having gone from academia to government to the private sector, kind of, you know, just spanning all of those over uh, three decades. Um, my interests really lie in worker health, um, the impacts of the workplace on health, you know, both at the individual level and the organizational level, and really trying to understand that synergy between an employer and employee and how the needs of both, you know, both of those parties, the employee and the organization at a, as a whole can be met, especially when we have these huge challenges like the pandemic. So that's what we'll be exploring together um, when I talk a little bit more about the issues. Wonderful. Okay, thanks. Well, Mark, tell us about yourself and your background. 
Sure. My name is Mark Hudak. I am a senior vice president at GZA, Geoenvironmental. We're a firm with about 650 environmental and engineering professionals. Uh, we have all kinds of disciplines, um, particularly uh, in the environmental field. We have you know, environmental risk assessors and industrial hygienists and health and safety type folks. Um, I personally have a background in in, uh, in geology and in, in soil and groundwater remediation, but um, you know, part of our environmental work is to evaluate risk. So we do risk assessments of all kinds, and I work with our industrial hygienists and health and safety people to evaluate uh, human health risk uh, all the time. So you know, whenever this uh, certainly none of us had a resume of dealing with a pandemic, <laughs> um, but when this kicked in, we we um, you know, our experience of, of risk assessments informed a lot of the work we do in the industrial hygiene space and the um, human health uh, risk assessment space. So, yeah, really happy to be here. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, rounding out the A-team is uh, Blaine. So, Blaine, tell us about your background. Uh, I am a senior consultant uh, ecologist at GZA Geo Environmental, uh, a colleague of Mark's. And uh, I'm the guy that um, puts the whipped cream on top of the, the cake when everybody else is done um, fixing the, the technical problems with uh, sites or ground fields or impacts to uh, the environment. So I, I'm kind of the guy that in the office, they, they say, oh, he's that bug and bunny guy. And um, that is, uh, I'll, I'll take it. I, I like what I do, I'm also a professional wildlife photographer and a rare species specialist. So, um, in this, you know, post uh, C19 environment we find ourselves uh, engaged in, uh, I really could put a little bit of light in that uh, you know, opening salvo you gave, Mark, where you, you, you know, you brought us down. I'm going to bring you to the top of the mountain when it becomes my turn to to talk. So. I'll, I'll let you get started. Okay, good. Well, hopefully it's good news and I didn't really read too much depression and get everybody upset. But <laughs> I think it's important to understand this is where people are at. And if you are not listening to professionals and you just read the news, you're just going to be in a complete stress mode all the time. My hope is that when you're done listening to us today, you'll feel like you've been educated by some really smart people. And I'm, I'm sad to let the audience know I don't have any politicians today. These are like scientists and experts. So if you <laughs> wanted politicians, man, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, these experts probably don't near, know nearly as much as politicians, but we're going to do the best we can. Rachel, I want to start with you, though. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see for this transition back into work, primarily in the U.S., for the next three to six months? What are some of the employer employee attitudes and concerns and how are those different compared to say, you know, the months before COVID? Sure. Yeah. So that's a big question. Um, given that our audience is um, there are HR professionals who deal with these macro issues in the organization and at the same time deal with individuals all of the time, I'm going to set the stage um, being an academic for just a few seconds to, to orient us all and to ground us all. So, you know, Mackie started out with these big problems, right, for the country, for the world. 
But when we're dealing with individuals, we always must remember that an individual's main concern is him or herself. So there's something called ecological systems theory. And what that is, it's a framework that we can use um, to examine a person, an individual's relationship within a community. So not only with his or her family, but his or her work system, his or her community, and the larger society. But at the center of it all, the individual is most concerned with him or herself. Then that moves to family and friends. Then it moves to the organization, so on and so on. So HR individuals, it behooves them just really to think of where um, a person's mind is when they're thinking about this transition back to work. So we know, like, as of a, a poll a few days ago, um, when interviewed, about 75% of American executives plan to ask their people to be back in the office by July. That's going to take several different forms, and that's across industries. Um, of those people, you know, of those uh, executives who want people be, to be back in the office, the bosses, about two-thirds of them, want people in the office about three days a week. And then um, I'd say about 50% want their workers to be at remote at least three days a week. So herein lies the paradox. Are people going to go back in the office? Or are they going to stay at home? It certainly depends on the nature of work. And then compounding it all, you have to go back to the individual and you say, what are these people thinking and feeling do during this time? And one of the most, uh, I would say, predominant psychological states is anxiety. So a lot of us tend to think that people might be afraid or experience fear when they go back into the work workplace. Not necessarily. So uh, fear is a response to anxiety. However, people may manifest their anxiety in different ways, not always through fear. It could be anger. It could be overenthusiasm. It could be uh, social isolation. You don't know what's happening, but what we do know is happening is people are getting back on medication more than ever, increasing their medication. They're not sleeping. Um, so there's something going on, uh, you know, in the minds of the community as, as COVID has hit. So if you think about some of the trends that are coming up, and one of the main ones I think that we can all touch on is that the physical dimension, the physical space of work is going to be a major factor shaping the future of work. It's brought to the forefront, of course, by health and safety considerations, but I think it's more complex than that. So you've got kind of two dimensions. Employers are going to have to balance not only the degree of human interaction, you know, what does that look like in terms of in order to complete the work, what's the physical closeness that people have? How often do they have to interact? And how often are they exposed to strangers? So you've got this physical proximity issue with 
one, the notion of human interaction, and then the work environment itself. So is the work environment out, outdoors or indoors, and is it site-dependent? So it's very complex, and you can, I would say, predict in a sense um, some levels of anxiety based on the type of work that people do. So if you're in medical care and personal care, so hospitals, clinics, hair salons, gyms, retail stores, banks, you've got a higher proximity score and perhaps a higher feeling of anxiety from people that you can anticipate than if you are in transportation outside, trucks, rail yards, construction sites, farms, um, indoor factories. You don't know. So you've got um, those issues to think about. And then another trend that we're going to see before I, I pause, and there are many of trends, and I can absolutely supplement what I'm saying by some resources later on, is that the the nature of work is going to change. So, of course, we are talking. We've we've known about remote work for a while, but we anticipate that it's going to be more skills based. There's going to be newer trainings that are going to have to take place. Um, there's going to be have to be more access to digital infrastructure to enable mobility within the workplace, and you know how can workplaces be agile and creative to keep the top talent. So I hope, you know, that was a lot, um, but those are some of the things we see. So talking about the anxiety, where does that come from and how might people respond? Um, those are those are what we need to look at. Well, I think that's a great summation of what we have to look forward to. The challenge, of course, is there's so much uncertainty. If we knew there's a date that everything would be fixed, well, we could work toward the date but we're rarely ever given anything that we can kind of bank on. So thinking about then, now that we, we've sort of set the stage for this return to work, whatever it's going to look like, I want to chat with Mark for a little bit now because his area of expertise is actually the workplace itself and the safety concerns of the workplace. So Mark, I would imagine employees are really nervous now about going back to the office or whatever the workspace would be. Should they be nervous? And if so, what should they be nervous about? Sure, absolutely. Workers are nervous and, and it's, it's, there's justification for it. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic that has taken the lives of, I mean, over half a million people, you know, give or take. Um, relative to nerves, I mean, that varies from person to person uh, as everyone has a different disposition to risk. And that's some of the things that Rachel was talking about, you know, who they're interacting with strangers and what they're direct work environment is yeah those are those are all things that uh people are going to be worried about i mean but you know humans we take on risk of all kinds you know we just getting out of bed in the morning we take on risk you know using taking a bath using an electric toaster driving to work you know people have been injured or killed by all of these things and and, and so adding COVID 19 into it is just another level of risk that we undertake uh, but by the way, all those other things, those have been baked in in a lot of ways into people's, into our risk calculation. You know, we understand those risks. We've all made those little calculations and, and you know, we have a nerve for them right now. But COVID's new, COVID's different, and um, that hasn't necessarily been baked in. 
So, you know, the notion of, um, you know, bringing people back to work and their nerves, you know, as an environmental prof professional, um, because risk assessment is the core of what we do, you know, I think it's helpful to perform risk assessments in your workplace and evaluate the situations and the locations that present the most risk and then help your employees, you know, discuss these with them and give it to them in the context of risk and where things you know can go awry and where the highest risk is and and work through those and, and help build in mitigation to those risks uh you know again we do that all the time at a contaminated site where soil and groundwater is sort of seeping into the a property or the indoor air I mean, we do indoor air evaluations all the time for contaminants well this is is just quite frankly a different contaminant um and you can do the same type of risk assessment so you know, touching on the notion of a risk assessment, helping your employees, communicating to your employees that you have evaluated the risks, you're aware of them, and now you're going to help them mitigate them. Um, I think that the HR folks uh, and health and safety folks in certain facilities can will go a long way to unnerving people. Well, I completely understand the psychological part of this. But what is involved then in actually bringing people back? So you're coming at it from a health and safety perspective, does this mean we're gonna be doing cleaning all the time? Is everybody gonna wear masks? Uh, based on your expertise now, Mark, where do you think we're gonna to have to focus efforts to return people back to a healthy work environment? Great question, Mac. Um, so things have evolved, of course, we're, you know, we know a lot more in April, 2021, you know, this is when we're recording this, uh, than we did in April, 2020. And things have evolved and we have a better understanding. You know, for me, uh, what I see and what I understand through the CDC and the different authoritative sources is, um, you know, this virus is transmitted primarily through aerosol, through breathing and, uh, you know, touching and, and um, contact and cleaning isn't such a, isn't such a big deal. In fact, the CDC recently came out and, and uh, sort of demoted, you know, the, the touch issues and the cleaning issues. Um, uh, but they really want us to focus on ventilation and the air that we breathe. You know, when you're putting people in the same space at the same time, you have to be hyper aware of that ventilation. And, uh, and so, yeah, there will be a layered approach to it. Um, I think you have to evaluate your HVAC systems. You have to understand, um, you know, whether or not you can open your windows or not. And is that compatible with your HVAC system? you know, filtering and different things like that. Um, and masks, you know, I think masks and distancing are are certainly going to be part of that. I know that, uh, you know, that kind of touches into the great mask debate, you know, and, and it can be very controversial and people have their sources, oh, masks don't work, or masks do work. Or, um, I, mean, I mean, for me, the bottom line is, you know, um, if it's an aerosol transmission, are you in the breathing space of someone? And how risky is that space? Is it an enclosed space with no ventilation, multiple people? You know, we've heard these, we've heard these warnings of these scenarios that are very risky. And um, or are you in sort of an open garage with a you know a big open air um, window or garage door, and, and maybe in a shop setting, and, and there aren't that many people. You know, there's there's the um, you know, there's this different scenarios have different risk to them. And, but, um, you know, back to the mass debate real quick, you know, it's, it's funny. Here we are April 2021 and I still haven't heard a very good sort of response to that, that argument that masks don't work. And 
Um, one of the ones that I put out there for folks help them understand is, you know, I give an analogy for compare a mask to a seatbelt. And now no analogy is perfect and they all fall down at some point. But, you know, the thing with the, with the, uh, the seatbelt is, you know, does that protect us in every crash? Um, the answer is no. I mean, you can, you can be in a very high risk, high speed crash greening through the woods you know, at 90 miles an hour on ice, you know, that seatbelt's not going to be that helpful. But in a um, sort of in your neighborhood going around the corner at five or 10 miles an hour and you bump into something, that seatbelt's going to be very helpful. And I think there are, again, different circumstances where the mask is very helpful and not so helpful. A high-risk crash for a mask is like I just mentioned, a, an enclosed space, no ventilation with a lot of people. That's a high-risk, you know, you're, you, the mask is going to be very helpful. But in those casual interactions with people walking past in the hallway or in sort of a more open space, um, you know, the mask will protect you. So, uh, you know, I think HR professionals need to be able to put things in the context of risk, in the context of situations, you know, interactions and things, uh, knowing that aerosol spread is, is the, main, the main way it's spread. Well, that is probably one of the best descriptors of why masks work that I think I've heard. Uh, the analogy with the seatbelt. Yeah, it won't protect against everything, but it'll protect against a lot. And let's be honest, I look a hell of a lot better with a mask on, so maybe it'll even improve the environment some. But, <laughs> but I guess the, the big question is now, since we, we know now that ventilation is key, what is a company to do if they just are in an old building? I mean, the office that I have that I'm in right now is over 100 years old. And I can't even get these old windows to open up. I've got AC. Now, granted, I don't have any employees in here with me. But what would you recommend to a company that just does not have the ability to make changes to improve the ventilation? Well, if you can't make changes to improve the ventilation system you have and you can't open the windows, then you've got to, excuse me, get into the filtration business, the air, the air filtration. You need to get some, you know, sort of bring in a filter. Uh, you know, you can plug them in or, or keep a... We recommend HEPA filters, high efficiency particulate air um, filters, and um, you know circulate the air, uh, or rather filter the air that you have in your space. Um, and then the other thing would be, and Blaine will talk about this, is you know just to get outside a bit more if you can, and potentially uh, you know transition some of your work to to outside or you know, get get out some more. So. Um, yeah, that's what I would say, you know, if you can't adjust your existing HVAC. So Mark, let me ask you this. If I invest all this money as a company to redo all this and get the HEPA filters and all that, what happens when COVID is behind us? Like three years from now, is that all that system, do we just dismantle it and go back to what we used to do? Or do you see a long-term benefit for improving ventilation? Yeah, a, a well or a healthy building, uh, certainly ventilation, good ventilation is very key to a healthy building. You want to uh, think about the wellness of your employees, and that's a very key component of it. There's a lot of uh, new building, uh, you know, you've heard of LEED certifications and things. There's there's well building certifications out there but rachel knows um many of them and uh you know that's it's one of the key elements one of the factors of whether or not you have a healthy building so yeah that investment will will pay dividends and can be useful uh, long into the future and then we also have the opportunity to do a transformation that involves more outdoor 
So I'd like to actually hand the mic over to the bug and bunny guy. So Blaine, talk to us about corporate ecoscaping. Now I've never heard that term before, but can you enlighten us as to what it is and how it relates to overall health in a post COVID world? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, thank you for that question. Cause it's one of my favorite ones to, to actually answer and expound on because it goes right to the heart of what I do. Um, you, the, the new norm in many of, especially your larger companies, I don't know if this helps you with your building, although, you know, you have property managers that may be willing to do some of the things I'm about to explain. Um, the, the larger companies like Google and Microsoft and L'Oreal, they have in their DNA a philosophy to kind of build back better outside their grounds in order to uh, get their employee base to interface and, and do the things that can avoid the problems that Mark and Rachel just kind of pointed out on the interior. Well, let, let, let's look at it this way. Let's like back up a second and, and kind of take a look at the uh, interior scapes uh, that have been the norm for so many long years, right? Uh, endless rows of, of, um, uh, of uh, you know, confined boxes and terminals where people are crowded into a, a small space looking at screens all day with with the copying machines and filing cabinets all around them and fluorescent lights and and uh, and all these things that really have caused some some health problems Rachel as a scientist has actually spent some of her career looking into these things and in discovering that, uh, this is just bad for your health. Not forget about the pandemic. Uh, interior office spaces uh, with poor ventilation and and the visual uh, signs of confinement uh, all have taken their toll. So it, it really is ripe. And and again, companies have have gained the uh, education um, to say, you know what, we need nature, not just. Uh, part-time, but as, as much as we can get it, because that's going to make our our companies more productive. And this has been shown through uh, through science, actually, that people and employees get, you get more out of them. You know, they're, they're actually uh, more focused, more cognitive to what they're doing. If they can have some time, it doesn't have to be, you know, we open up the all the walls and let the sun shine in 24-7, but if they can get out into an area and actually interface with their environment, and this is exit stage left, Blaine Rothhauser, the bug and bunny guy, to produce really natal environments based off of the local surroundings. How how cool is this, right? You, you take a site, and I'll, I'll just use one instance, if I may, uh, Ferminich in, in uh, Port Nork, the dirtiest, nastiest, grossest spot in the history of mankind that we've ever produced. You know, you could almost walk on the dead fish back in the 60s uh, to get across North Bay over to the other side into into the Hudson. So the, that all changed with with um, regulation and uh, the Clean Air and Clean Water Act overnight, o uh, almost over a course of actually three or four decades. It's just completely turned around. In this particular company, recognize 
in 2020 that the, that the marshes and the areas that surround them are alive with life. You know, things like dolphins are now back on this site. And, and you see herons of all varieties eating fish that uh, are alive once again because we converted that, um, we converted through good uh, national uh, regulation, the, the situation. So now Ferminitz is, let's, let's piggyback on that. And the, the little bit of green space we have, in their case, they had about three acres on the outside. Let's, let's hire this bug and bunny guy from GZA and have him design a, a restoration plan. And as a restoration ecologist, I converted uh, grass fields into meadows. I converted uh, a berm overlooking the Freedom Tower and the marsh into a into a nature trail. And guess what? The employees they go out during lunchtime. They actually created a gazebo that overlooks this bay, and they're looking at ospreys bring fish back, and they're watching goldfinch feed on on sunflowers, and they're. Uh, interfacing with with the buzzing of bees and they're they're smelling clean air once again outside so they they have a place during the day to defragment their hard drive and that's what echoscaping is so i gave you a 20 minute answer to what you thought was going to be a, a one minute answer no it's a great answer because i hadn't really even thought about that you know i'd read an article the other day where this gives you an idea of what I read, but you know what it's like to be in solitary confinement at the Supermax prison in Colorado, which basically <laughs> there's a little window in your cell, which you can't see out of because it's up too high. And you might, if you're lucky, get one hour outside in the sun and you're in four closed walls, four foot by eight or whatever it is for 23 hours a day. You can imagine where people start having mental health problems Blaine, you're advocating, basically, we're going to bring the workspace into the environment and allow the environment to surround us. And with that, bring us all the benefits of an environment, even one that was filthy, dirty, polluted. And now it's been brought back. It makes total sense to me. Yeah, I don't know how you could not help but at least have a decent day if you're not stuck in a cube farm someplace behind four walls. You, you would be surprised, Mac. When I'm out there doing my, uh, you know, adaptive management, because these spaces just don't, they, they work upon themselves once they're established, but they do need to be um, managed for invasive species and increased wildlife habitat, all that sort of good stuff. But it's amazing. These people who live in Bergen County, New Jersey, if anybody knows Bergen County, it's bituminous concrete as far as the eye can see. You can, you can walk on rooftops and never touch the ground for five miles. So it, it is a, a pretty hardscaped world. So when you have these uh, open spaces, they're rare commodities. So the people that are employees that, that really don't interface with nature ever, they've come up to me and said, I never knew this species existed, or I never, you know, there was a snapping turtle back there, Blaine, or I can't believe it. I saw, I saw this uh, weird bird, yellow bird, looked like a canary. What was that? And I, I'd say, well, that was one of the warblers migrating, you know, across the Atlantic. They're looking for these burger kings along the flyway to stop and, and do their thing. So it's an outreach and education um, opportunity too for the human race. So, you know, this is what I said, I'm gonna to try to turn 
what you started as as chicken poop and in, into chicken soup at the beginning of this uh, this this talk because I, there's so much opportunity in echoscaping and getting people outside and in uh, getting them excited about their surroundings. Well, it seems like this is the perfect time as well. If somebody is getting ready to reintegrate their workplace, you know, this is the time to change lots of things. Either way, it's going to be a shift, whether positive or negative. But imagine coming back to where you can breathe the air and you can look out and see something beautiful. And maybe that'll go a long way to sort of healing everybody and bringing us back to a better, I guess, reality than the one we left behind. Because even though a lot of us, wish we were back there. There was some pretty ugly things about it. So great opportunities. Well, I appreciate the the, the great answer from the bug and bunny guy. I'd, I'd like to bring us back as we wind our time down with Rachel. So Rachel, you started us on this journey. Now that we've got a perspective on what we need to do to make the workplace safer and more beautiful, what should employers start doing right now in anticipation of a massive re-entry back into what used to be our old reality? That's a really good question. And Mac, you know, this is why I think that Mark and Blaine and I work together so well. So what can employers do? One goes back to what Mark was talking about. So even last week, you had the director of the CDC, Dr. Walensky, say, and this was a big headline, it said to companies, Stop the hygiene theater. And what she meant was, great, you can clean all you want, disinfect all you want, but <laughs> buildings need to focus on ventilation. And I thought, that is great. That that advice came a little bit late for our comfort. I'm glad that was said by the CDC. At the same time, let's go back to what I talked about in the beginning. We are dealing with individual level fears. So people will still have at the core the need to know from their employers everything that the employer is doing to protect them and keep them safe. And that certainly does involve um, those hygiene factors. Let people know what you're doing to protect their health, to sanitize, to clean the air, um, to make sure people are distanced. So I would say a nice effort to communicate health and safety and hygiene um, in a robust way is is table stakes for any any company. Going back to I think what Blaine said, um, we talk about worker experience. I think HR professionals might kind of be as tired as I am of that term. But if you're really thinking of improving the environment and improving the experience, um, when HR professionals and facility managers have to really build the case for, say, the CFO or the CEO and building these new landscapes or doing these new programs, they have to build, you know, a case for a return on investment or what we call value on investment, ROI or VOI. And a lot of Folks think that they can't really measure the impact of uh, these these echoscapes or the human element of bringing the nature indoors. And that's completely untrue. Um, there are many ways to show that 
what you do, uh, what you intervene on, as scientists say, can impact human health. And that can be in terms of productivity, uh, happiness, if you go that route. Um, and productivity, we understand, is very different from for knowledge workers, but that can be measured too. So if companies want to build that ROI case to really invest in the experiential component, you know, that's something we can work on uh, together and it can be done. Um, and it and the results of such, when you've got such a great environment like Furminich, and I've actually been there myself, the, the place that Blaine described, um, boy, you can see the benefits and you can see the difference in the employees pre and post. Um, so, so those are some of the big things in terms of um, other things the employers can do. I think I'll add some resources, um, if we can, to your page, perhaps, uh, Mac, and um, people can reach out from there. That's great. Well, this has been extremely enlightening. And even though I read a really depressing article, I have hope that based on just what humans have done for thousands and thousands of years, we bounce back. But wouldn't it be great if we could bounce back better in the right way? And, and I think that each of you have offered a really great perspective on what we need to do. So if you're listening to this today, I would really encourage you to take good notes and to engage uh, any of the members of this team, this A-team of people that I really wish were leading this re-entry back into work. Let them help you out. Don't do this alone. You now know what a good winning formula is. So Rachel, Mark, Blaine, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do the research for our interview today, but also just spending time, you know, giving us your perspective. I'm really, really grateful. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Mac. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>